Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for being with me. We've got two hours ahead of us talking about the things that matter most. And, well, what we're going to be doing today is focusing on why Christians should pursue resilience over avoidance. In other words, we can't fear difficulty. We have to be ready to develop uh, a way to bounce back from difficulty. We can't just take a curve around difficulty. Our life requires us to go through those difficulties. Dr. Kristen Collier, Director of Health, Spirituality, and Religion Program at the University of Michigan, will be joining me. Also, our friend uh, Joe Giordano, President of Father Gabriel Richard High School, will be with us talking about the upcoming Familiaris Consortio Conference. Also coming up, Archbishop Boris Gudziak. Uh, he's the Metropolitan Archbishop uh, of Philadelphia for Ukrainian Catholics in the United States, and he's going to give us an up- It's been a year, you know, just over a year, since Russia invaded Ukraine. Last night, Russia launched one of its biggest airstrikes of the war. 84 missiles targeting Ukrainian infrastructure all over the country. And, um, you know, it doesn't look as though there's any peace treaty coming soon. We've got, again, they fought to pretty much uh, stand still. Now, this is a new initiative on the part of Russia. But we're going to talk, talk to the Archbishop and get a sense from him what he's hearing from Ukrainians themselves undergoing this war. And then we're going to be taking time with an outstanding Old Testament scholar, Andre Villeneuve, who's author of Divine Marriage from Eden to the End of Days. It's the mystery of divine love made personal, you might say. And we're going to take time to go over what he discovered as he went about looking at this central uh, metaphor of our relationship with God. He is, well, you know, Christ is the bridegroom, we are the bride. But this nuptial imagery goes all the way back to Eden. So stay with us, we've got a lot coming up today. But first, let's get the headlines. Thank you, Al, and good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, March 9th. It's the Feast of St. Gregory of Nyssa. And today's news is brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. The Nicaraguan government has seized the assets of two Catholic universities, as well as the Catholic charity Caritas Nicaragua. It has also rescinded the organization's legal status, effectively shuttering their operations. Officials at both universities have been ordered to deliver lists of students, faculty, and academic records to the National Council of Universities, the public agency which oversees higher education in Nicaragua. Local experts expect the schools to be turned into public universities with faculty that are loyal to the Ortega regime. Pope Francis underlined the universal value of Jerusalem in a meeting with members of a Vatican-Palestinian interreligious dialogue group today. He told the group, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. 
We should not pass over these words in haste. These tears of Jesus should be contemplated in silence. The papal audience was held with representatives of the Joint Working Group for Dialogue between the Dicastery for Interreligious Dialogue and the Palestinian Commission for Interreligious Dialogue. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is in the hospital being treated for concussion. The Kentucky Republican tripped and fell at a dinner event last night in Washington, D.C. McConnell's communications director says he's expected to remain in the hospital for a few days for treatment and observation. And the Red Cross is trying to increase the number of people who will roll up their sleeves and donate blood. Anyone who donates through March 31st will have a $10 prepaid gift card sent to their email. They'll also be entered for a chance at winning a $3,000 prepaid Visa gift card that can be used for things like groceries and gas. From the Ave Maria Radio.net News Desk, I'm Dan McGraw. Cresta, thanking you for being with me. Yesterday, at this time, I told you that I have taken to avoiding monitoring and getting involved in discussing partisan political controversies. And I said, you know, once you start, uh, it's like touching the tar baby. You can't get free of it because you, you bring up, make a point on one thing, and then somebody's going to respond to it. And sure enough, as I was telling you yesterday, that I wanted to avoid touching the tar baby, and I didn't want to really do too much about the controversy surrounding January, anything more than I've done in the past, about the controversy surrounding January 6th and now Tucker Carlson's uh, attempt to um, revise some of the language surrounding January 6th. I, I couldn't believe it. But the White House press secretary steps forward, and decides to attack Tucker Carlson is not credible when it comes to discussing January 6th. Well, sure, I have my gripe with Carlson, too, about the way he's treating material. But what she does is she invokes the name of dead police officers, raising the issue of police officers who, she said, lost their lives on that day. Now, this is the White House press secretary. And what she's saying is, strictly speaking, false. No police officers lost their lives that day. And yet, time and again, you hear that five, seven, or nine people died as a result of the January 6th mob. Now, people did die. Okay. They did die. But it's difficult to determine the conditions under which they died. And we're talking about real people here with real families. And I thought, why don't we just take a minute here, because I've gotten so tired of hearing people shout about all those who died as a result of January 6th. I want to go over each of the names that have come up and tell you exactly what happened. It's well established by medical examiners. and We have, of course, Ashley Babbitt, the Air Force veteran who was fatally shot by a Capitol Police officer as they were trying to breach the House chamber. Um, this is seen, it's on video, it's, you can see it. So it's, it's terrible, it's ugly, it's tragic, didn't have to happen. But she was shot. She was a Trump supporter, shot and killed that day. Kevin Greeson died of a heart attack. He collapsed on the sidewalk west of the Capitol building uh, that afternoon. Now, his wife, 
has said Kevin had a history of high blood pressure and in the midst of the excitement suffered a heart attack. That, that's his wife. That's how she, is, she looks at it. Uh, she also said that her husband was a Trump advocate and that he was excited to attend the event, but that he wasn't there to participate in violence or rioting, and he didn't condone such actions. So there we have two people who did die that day, Ashley Babbitt and Kevin Greeson, and there was Roseanne Boyland. Now, at first, it was reported that she had been crushed in a stampede of rioters uh, as they were surging against the police. But on April 7th, so you're looking, you know, one, two, three, four months after the event, the Washington Post reported that the D.C. medical examiner determined that Roseanne Boylan's death was actually caused by an accidental overdose of amphetamines. It was her death was caused by an accidental overdose. Um, okay, that's that's too bad, but it's hard to pin that on the crowd. Benjamin Phillips, uh, the founder of a pro-Trump website called Trumparoo, died of a stroke. Uh, I mentioned Mr. Greeson earlier, who died of a heart attack, and Mr. Phillips here died of a stroke, the Washington Medical Examiner said in April that both of these men died uh, of natural causes. He did add, though, that, of course, the conditions surrounding January 6th, the, the mob, the riot, the conflict, uh, could well have contributed to their deaths. So in the days, so there you had, you know, Roseanne Boyland, Benjamin Phillips, uh, Ashley Babbitt, and uh, Howard Greeson. Now, five police officers who served at the Capitol on January 6th also died. There was Officer Brian Sicknick of the Capitol Police, who's really gotten a lot of attention. Um, he died on January 7th. Okay. Now, what was the cause of death? Um, well, the Capitol Police had originally said that Sicknick died from injuries sustained while physically engaging with protesters. But later the Washington Medical Examiner ruled that he had died of natural causes, multiple strokes that occurred hours after his confrontation with the mob. Now, the medical examiner said, look, all that transpired that day played, played a role in his condition and certainly contributed to his death. That's Brian Sicknick of the Capitol Police. Okay. Then there's Officer Jeffrey Smith of the Metropolitan Police Department. He um, died by suicide after the attack. Uh, four days after the attack, Officer Howard Liebengood of the Capitol Police also died by suicide. And um, there's also uh, two Metropolitan Police officers, Gunther Hashida and Kyle de Freitag, who died by suicide the following July. So, when people begin claiming that the mob and the riot of January 6th produced all these deaths, you really do need to, to pick them apart and, and see did the mob cause the death or was the person in a particular psychological condition or health condition and the mob, the riot, the pressure contributed and weakened to a weakened physical condition. It's so important not not to take people's deaths and use them to just support one's position here. 
we owe these people honesty. And unfortunately, again, in these partisan political controversies, it's difficult to get honesty. Because people, if the White House press secretary, who has all this information at her disposal, if she can't take the time to clarify, then why? Why bother? Why spend time trying to, you know, you know, it took a while to figure, you know, go through all this. But it wasn't hard, it just took time. You know, last month, but this is why I, I don't like going in for these partisan political controversies. Like I said, touching the tar baby. Now you have to come back the next day and clarify what so-and-so said. Last month, and I, I've said before, there's all this jockeying for position. Who's more patriotic than thou? That's another thing that goes on and drives you crazy. Last month, fireworks brought out in the House chamber when Matt Gates, Republican of Florida, offered an amendment that would require House Judiciary Committee members to say the Pledge of Allegiance before meeting. Again, this is part of an ongoing turf war between Republicans and Democrats over who gets to wear the brightest Patriot badge. So Gates makes a proposal to say the pledge. Democrat from New York, Jerry Nadler, committee's highest ranking member there, immediately objects. He argues that, look, House members already recite the pledge on the floor every day. Quote, I don't know why we should pledge allegiance twice in the same day to show how patriotic we are, end quote. And then Democrat from Rhode Island, Dave uh, Cicciolini, introduces an amendment to Geitz Amendment and clarifies that the pledge cannot be led by anyone who supported an insurrection against the United States. Now, remember, nobody is charged with an insurrection against the United States. 900 people have been charged. Nobody's been charged with insurrection. And yet, here's this guy trying to up the ante. Uh, again, who's, who's more patriotic than now? I'm not going to have anybody who supports an insurrection saying the Pledge of Allegiance or leading in a Pledge of Allegiance. It's, he, he, he makes the point. This pledge is an affirmation of your defense of democracy and the Constitution. It's hard to take that claim seriously if, in fact, an individual in any way supported an insurrection against the government. So they they keep going at that fact they're yelling at each other, you know. Um, I'm concerned that you may be disqualifying too many of your own members. You Democrats have been uh, talking about fraudulent elections yourselves. Uh, it, crazy, crazy stuff. It's junior high stuff. Jeff Van Drew, Republican in New Jersey, sarcastically joked about how long it takes to <laughs> to recite the pledge. He said. Look, we can go that little extra mile, stand up, put your hand on our chest, and say what we believe, and reaffirm this America that we love. Come on. This can't be real. I can't believe we're having this debate. And uh, a freshman representative from uh, Texas, Wesley Hunt, Republican, says, you know, we said the pledge in elementary school, and reciting it during a committee meeting is good. It's necessary because it represents the deaths of thousands of Americans The least we can do is pay homage to Americans who have made that sacrifice for the nation. Democrat or Republican, we're in this together. That flag is the one thing that unites us. Okay, okay. Again, it's about, at least in his case, he's not trying to divide them. He's trying to get them together, using the flag as the common denominator. And when push came to shove, Geitz's amendment was passed unanimously, because no one wanted to be seen as refusing to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, even if it was redundant, even if they were doing it a second time during the day. 
But it's this kind of nonsense that goes on regularly in partisan political controversies. Uh, the press loves it because conflict holds people's attention. Uh, they, in fact, will sharpen up the reporting, will sharpen up uh, the barbs uh, between people. I, you know, all I can say is, I don't, honestly, I don't think it's good stewardship of my time, the program's time, your time, to engage in, in those kind of things. But I think I, I just got a kick out of how what happened illustrated what I was saying yesterday. Once you start, so, so now, you know, what will happen is there'll be a response to the White House press secretary by some Republicans tomorrow. And this thing will go on for a week. And, of course, uh, Carlson will continue to go about doing what he's doing. Always remember this when you're dealing with the mainstream media. These are commercial institutions. Fox has no more interest in defending the faith, defending the nation, than anyone else. Fox, Rupert Murdoch had the idea, and it was really brought into a great existence by Roger Ailes. They saw a market that was underserved. They saw that Americans who loved family, who loved the faith, who loved uh, the nation, were being underserved. And Fox went after that market. That market changes. Fox is going to change as well. So just remember this. This is not a catechetical organization. It's not a uh, therapeutic organization. Fox and the rest of the mainstream media are commercial organizations. You are invited as Bishop Earl Boyer presides over the 25th annual Rose Mass for Healthcare Workers, Saturday, March 18th at 4.30 at Christ the King in Ann Arbor. Afterwards, there will be a dinner and discussion on the relationship between Catholic medicine, the media, and the impact on patients. Featuring Ave Maria Radio's Al Cresta and Father Peter Ryan. This takes place at Fox Hills Country Club near Plymouth. Go to cmalansing at gmail.com to purchase tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. On the next Epiphany. Calling all men. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here. I encourage you to tune in to Jack Crisula's interview talking about some names you'll recognize. Ricardo, McCormick, Harbaugh. Don't miss the event coming up. Tune in for details. Teresa Tamio talks about a journalism conference happening in D.C. Epiphany, weekdays at noon on Ave Maria Radio. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. Family life is a ministry. We tend to think of ministry as the churchy stuff we do at church, but the word ministry means doing any activity that communicates God's love to another person. When we help our family love and worship God every day at home, we're doing ministry. When our families cherish each other with Christ's love, we're doing ministry. When our family is kind to others, or when we invite others to our home for godly fun and fellowship, or when we try to attend to each other's needs generously and cheerfully, we're doing ministry by doing things that share God's love with others. The ministry of domestic church life is among the most important ministries of all. And discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life. Check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. 
I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Why are blasphemy, perjury, and the taking of a false oath sins against the second commandment? They are sins because they are in contradiction to God's directive that we do not take his name in vain. We commit blasphemy when we use God's name improperly. We commit perjury if we call upon God to witness an oath we do not intend to honor, or after swearing an oath, we fail to keep it. The Catholic Catechism in paragraphs 2150 through 2155 states that when we take an oath and call on God as our witness, we invoke divine truthfulness as a pledge of our truthfulness. The holiness of the Lord's name demands that it never be used in a trivial manner or to witness to an unholy authority. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. You're listening to Ave Maria Radio. Ave Maria Radio. This week on Christ is the Answer, it's the season of Lent, and Father John wants to help us prepare for Easter. It's only been about a week into Lent, but have you stuck to your goals of fasting and prayer? Or have you hit that spiritual roadblock? It's not too late. The church has so many faithful ways for us to traverse this season of penance. So if you need encouragement, join us again this week as Father John helps us get the most out of Lent. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. In Morse code, the sequence SOS is a distress call when someone's in trouble. It's been said that SOS stands for Save Our Souls. Well, right now, the world is in deep trouble, and we're putting out an SOS call for help. Will you answer the call? St. Paul Evangelization has hundreds of teams of evangelists that go out and share the good news with souls that are in danger of being lost. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and find a team near you so you can answer that distress call. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Coming up March 25th, Saturday, 8 to noon in the morning, we have our 2023 Familiaris Consortio Conference uh, theme this year, Averse to Adversity, Why Christians Should Pursue Resilience Over Avoidance. We have some great speakers. Dr. Kristen Collier will be our keynote. Dr. Tom Bishop, also Jennifer Tom, will be joining us as well, talking about uh, bouncing back after adversity. And with me right now to discuss uh, this event, uh, we've got the president of Father Gabriel Richard High School, Joe Giordano, who really uh, is the spark plug that keeps this thing going. Good to see you, Joe. Good afternoon, Al. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, and with us as well is Dr. Kristen Collier, uh, who joins us. Uh, she serves at the University of Michigan, where she's Associate Professor of Medicine and directs the program on health, spirituality, and religion. You can follow her on Twitter at Kristen Collier 20 We'll have all that listed for you, of course, uh, on the website. So, Joe, I'll let you set it up, uh, what the aim is for this conference, and then we'll have uh, Kristen join us. Yeah, we're so grateful to Ave Maria Radio and to you, Al, for uh, your continued partnership. This is our sixth annual Familiaris yeah. Consortio event. And uh, as we were really praying and discerning and, and talking through what, what a relevant topic would be, um, this this topic of um, the virtue of resilience just kept coming yeah. up. Yeah. And um, you know, as we move and as as we as Catholics and Christians really feel 
um, how we're no longer living in in um, Christendom. We are in apostolic times, and um, there's going to continue to be more um, more aversion to the truth, and we need to be yeah. prepared for it. And it was interesting, kind of as we were discerning this topic, I was at uh, two different talks by two different college professors from very reputable Catholic universities in the country, and in both of their talks, they they referenced that the virtue needing the most development and the most growth among their college students today is the virtue of resilience. Wow. And um, and I would say we're seeing that at the high school level as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, between COVID and so many different issues that, that our young uh, young adults and our students are experiencing. There is just this need. And, and I know there's a need in my life to grow in the virtue of resilience. Yeah. Who, who couldn't grow in that virtue? Yeah. So that was really a topic we thought would resonate with our audience and our community and, and something we wanted to focus on. Dr. Collier, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Alan Joe. Good afternoon. It's good to be with you both. Let me just ask a basic question about how you, you moved uh, in your life from a very pro-choice, anti-theist, to now directing the University of Michigan Med School's program on health, spirituality, and religion, and giving talks on pro-life feminism. Um, was that uh, as big a turnaround as it sounds? I mean, even when you say it right, it is a, it is a huge turnaround. Um, the, the best answer I can give you is, is God's grace. Um, obviously, you know, so many people have, through God's grace, have come into my life over the past several years that have led to my... Christian conversion, baptism, and repentance, and yeah, absolutely, I, I call myself a pro-life feminist, and uh, it's a very strange experience to be at a medical school, where I went to medical school, and I was a very, um, I would say, pretty militant pro-choice person, mm-hmm. um, and sort of wavering between anti-theist and non-theist, to now being, yeah, the director of a program at the Med School and Health Spirit and Religion, yeah. Does that create any controversy for you there? Um, I mean, controversy is an interesting word. I mean, mm-hmm. I think definitely we all are learning from each other, um, especially, you know, in higher education about what it means to be, um, what it looks like to be able to sit with people um, and learn from each other and yeah. converse and work with people who have differences of opinion around large issues. Um, many of your listeners know that um, this summer in particular was a stress test for our community when um, I was asked to be the speaker at the White Coat Ceremony for the medical school to welcome the new medical students. Yes, I remember. And um, I accepted that, um, and then shortly thereafter that was known. There was a petition started um, by some students. Um, that were, This petition was signed by actually a lot of our um, faculty and students at the med school to have me removed as the speaker because of my pro-life views. And so that was a stress test for us. Um, you weren't you weren't even speaking that, but yeah uh, you, you, I, I mean you were not. not there as an advocate for the pro life position right you, you right. Were just this was a right. welcoming speech to incoming exactly. uh, u of m med students it was, exactly so yeah, so the goal team of our society, which is a honor society that has national chapters that um we have a chapter of at the mud school, um voted me to be the faculty speaker because they said that I, I embodied the type of qualities that um you know you would want in a physician like to yeah. take care of you or your loved one, and I just accepted this invitation to welcome the new medical students. I wasn't even going to speak about about abortion, but because of my position as a pro life person and I've made that known and talks that I give and um in my um, comments in various platforms. Um, they uh, many people believe that I didn't have a place to speak um, uh, because of wow. that identity that I hold that flows out of my Christian faith. Yeah. Wow, wow. Um, I, I mean, as you look at, over your own um, profession and the educational environment that your students are learning in, should 
uh, Catholic and other Christians uh, in the um, health professions be concerned about conscience protections in the future? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think conscience protection is one of the hot button issues right now, especially that um, I care a lot about. Um, mm-hmm. And I, a lot of us um, in medicine, um, even people are, are brothers and sisters who don't uh, claim the Christian faith, um, have very strong views about um, the good of medicine and how they believe. Um, but and I believe that the, that the that the good of medicine does not include directly aiming at the death of of our. Uh, fellow members of the human um, species. So um, very pro-life, right? I don't believe that abortion is health care. I don't believe that um, physician-assisted suicide euthanasia is health care. And I I don't believe that the the sacred vocation of medicine should be wrapped up with with the business of death. Um, But I'm not the only one that believes that. And actually, as I said, a lot of uh, brothers and sisters of different faiths and um, even people that don't hold a faith claim at all um, have a a problem with killing other human beings under the guise of health care. And so, yes, I do believe that um, our thing goodness, so many of our colleagues across the country um, in different ways are helping to preserve um, physician conscience, which is actually a beautiful moral tool for us to be able to be guided within the practice of medicine. And everyone has um, different views on that. I know it's a controversial issue, but I, I agree for, especially for, for those of us who have these strong beliefs, to be able to be able to live in an integral way in our identity as um, Catholic and Christian physicians in the practice of medicine, that, that should be preserved, especially under the, I think, the tenet of, of, of diversity, equity, inclusion. Like, that includes people who have religious diversity and our religious colleagues, like, should be able to practice medicine in a way that they feel to have a moral integrity. Were you surprised when you had that student resistance uh, to your speech? Were you prepared for that, or did that come out of the blue? You know, it, it did come out of the blue, I guess, uh, and I, I think, you know, it was a perfect storm of sorts, so uh, when I was asked to be the speaker, it was, I think it was sort of mid, maybe mid-early June, and then shortly thereafter, there was a piece that I was interviewed with, um, or in, called the, um, In the Pillar, the, the Catholic oh, sure. Pillar yes. by Charles Camosi, yes. about mm-hmm. my conversion, actually, um, and then that piece came out, and I think it was like the same day, Roe versus Wade was like overturned. <laughs> it was like a big, obviously, type of sort of perfect storm, and then I became that person, right, like this lightning rod for like all things abortion, um, and so, but it was very surprising because, like, the petition that was started and and all of this that happened, which was um, so hard, um, you know, I think... I think a lot of folks don't even know what I feel about abortion, and they don't even know me personally. To have this really um, strong, which I believe was an identity-based attack, again, because I wasn't speaking on abortion, right? I was just trying to welcome the city students. Um, to have that um, at a place where I feel like I've poured so much into the students and and such by, by a small group of students, it felt it felt hard. Um, you know, yeah. I, I love our place. I love our students. So to come into work and to teach and to work in this place where, um, you know, people would – act and look at me in a way that was um, unwelcoming and, and really had, um, um, you know, some tough things said about me. I have to say that was really, that was really challenging. Yeah, yeah. I bet it was. I, I just, that kind of thing where, again, they don't know you. Uh, they, they're, in a way, their reaction to you was, dehum- was dehumanizing you. Uh, you weren't a person. You were just an opinion on legs, you know. Uh, 
Right. I know there's totally a lot of trauma and emotion around abortion. I totally get that this is something we probably, you know, need to do a better job of discussing in, in the academy and to have sure. an idea of, like, what this means to have this, 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 this opinion and how we can, again, sit together in an educational space. But so I, I understand that. But I think, again, all of these things being focused at me without sort of a due process to be able to even, like, defend myself or to have a, a place to sort of sit with people and, and converse, it just was very, um, it was very hard. And I think, you know, to have our academic year start on this foot, um, it's a tragedy, I think, for our community, and I do really feel for our community because we all want to do this together. What just didn't happen to me, this happened to our students and the administration. I think there's a lot of healing that has to happen, and I just pray and hope that that can be done in, in a way that's restorative. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, this makes you actually just a perfect keynote speaker for this upcoming Familiaris Consortium mm-hmm. event, which is focused on handling adversity, uh, pursuing resilience over avoidance. Um, did it ever occur to you as this was going on that maybe you would just step aside and not give the talk? I mean, there was that option at one point sort of discussed, right, about, you know, should, should you know, at one point there was a concern that maybe the talk would be taken away from you. And as you know, the administration did the right thing and said we would not take away someone's, right, um, sort of uh, invitation to speak because they have different views than our own. So the administration did the right thing and completely stood up for me and it was great to see that. Um, but definitely there was, I think, any normal person would say, boy, you know, am I going to have the courage that it takes to sort of go through with this? Should I go through with it? Yeah. What are the motivations for doing this? What are the benefits? and sort of risks of going through with it versus stepping down. And, and, and sort of at some point, this whole idea of obviously academic freedom and freedom of speech and all these sort of big ideas, I felt resting sort of in this decision. And so with a lot of prayer and counsel and sort of asking for wisdom, you know, we decided to, to go through with this, and I had the backing of the administration to do so. But, of course, I think it's a pretty normal sort of temptation to just to be like, r- run away and say, no, no, thank yeah. you. Why, why am I doing this? But I do think just given that the, the, what was at stake, um, I think the right thing to do was to have the talk um, happen, which I'm, I'm, I felt very supported in, in, in that decision. Uh, just curious about your program there on health, spirituality, and religion. Sure. Uh, is the, I mean, is there significant uh, research that's been done showing uh, positive outcomes for, you know, uh, that that impact health uh, from people who engage in spiritual practices or are religious? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is definitely my, my academic niche. I'm very interested in the intersection of medicine and spirituality and religion. And our program um, helps to... Um, provide and legitimize a space within academic medicine to have conversations about the intersection. The intersection is broad as it relates to patient care and to help our students be able to see our patients and the humanity and the fullness of who they are and to attend to them, not just as sort of, you know, machines, uh, but human beings um, who have social and spiritual and emotional needs. But also, you know, and the data supports this 100%, whether you look at you know, sort of health and, and sort of addiction and wellness, all these things in which sort of the data suggests, but also about how patients want their religious and spiritual needs accommodated within healthcare and how mm-hmm. this topic benefits physicians themselves as they think about their own wellness within the profession. Okay. So yes to all of that. Yeah. Dr. Collier, let me, uh, music coming up. Thank you so much. Looking forward to seeing you sure, on uh, this coming familiar yeah, consortial conference. Both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, you want to give us uh, the call out? Yeah, Saturday, March 25th. Uh, registration starts at 8. We'll get started at 8.30 and we'll be done by noon. Please join us. More information at albemarieradio.net. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, the Lansing Guild of the Catholic Medical Association. 
The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers will be Saturday, March 18th at Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, followed by a dinner at Fox Hills Country Club in Plymouth. Email cmalansing at gmail.com for dinner tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. My dad, sharp as a tack, but getting him out for a dentist trip got harder every year. When he moved to the senior residence where he lives now, Dr. Mansour's portable dental service was a godsend. Dr. Mansour comes to wherever the homebound patient may be, whether in a nursing facility or the comfort of home. All the services you'd expect in a dentist office brought straight to the patient's door. Call 586-873-5567. That's 586-873-5567 or portabledentalservices.com. And now, a Meditation Minute from Father Gabriel Richard High School. I'm Dominic, a senior, with a reflection on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. How many of us want to be rich? How many of us want to be able to live without worry of the future or how we will support ourselves? Can we really say that these are bad things to desire? Jesus warns us against covetousness, which is really idolatry, with the parable of the rich fool. We live in a time when the idealized approach to life is to ensure prosperity, to free ourselves for other things. Financial responsibility is important, St. Paul says so to the Romans, but we cannot let money become an end in itself. This is what Jesus warns us against. Life is unpredictable, and nothing we can do can prepare us for every possibility. If that becomes our goal, what happens to faith? No matter what we do, we must be rich in what matters to God. This Meditation Minute is brought to you by the students, faculty, and staff of Father Gabriel Richard High School. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. There's a difference between a talk show and a news show. Like, this is a talk show. We have talk shows on Ave Maria and EWTN. So talk show hosts are allowed to and encouraged, actually, to give their opinion. Always looking at everything through the lens of Scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church. And we are, in terms of what we do, we are expected that those opinions will reflect, maybe a deeper understanding, provide you with other examples of how to apply that teaching to your life. That's what we do here at EWTN and Ave Maria Radio, and we make no bones about the fact that we are pro-life, we are Catholic, we are here to uphold the teachings of the Church. So you're not going to hear us proclaiming uh, anything that would be errant teaching or against what the Church gives us, especially on the core issue of life. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamia, weekday mornings from 8 to 10 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. 
Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. We uh, expect to be joined in just a few minutes uh, by Archbishop Boris Gudziak, who's the Metropolitan Archbishop of Philadelphia for Ukrainian Catholics in the United States. The Archbishop also serves as head of the Department of External Church Relations in the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Uh, He was born in the United States to Ukrainian immigrant parents, but spent 20 years in Ukraine, where he founded the Ukrainian Catholic University there and currently serves as head of its board of directors. He's joined us uh, a number of times over this last year uh, as we've tried to monitor, to some some degree, what Ukrainians are experiencing. Uh, last night, Russia launched its biggest aerial attack uh, in weeks, uh, targeting uh, sites in Ukraine uh, with a very complex barrage of weapons, including its newest hypersonic missiles. Um, they, they're claiming this is retaliation for an incursion last week by a pro-Ukrainian armed group in the uh, Bryansk region of Russia. So now they're claiming Ukraine is invading Russia. Uh, you know, the strikes killed at least nine people nationwide, knocked out power in several areas, damaged three uh, electrical plants. And um, this, I mean, that should tell us that th- this is not going away. Uh there's a kind of a frustration many of us feel that they have fought and to almost um, kind of a standstill. But there's no there's no no sign of a peace treaty. Um, the I'm not saying there should be. I'm just saying there is none. Uh, Ukrainians are in need of continual support uh, from the West. And uh, that's something that we're going to have to be uh, watching for a long time. I know there are many uh, Americans who believe that this is not necessarily in our national interest. I've never been able to believe that. Uh, It seems to me that when you do have an international uh, bully... uh, Look, if if you think Ukraine is actually part of Russia, you know, then that's one thing. But if you think that uh, Ukraine is actually its own nation, that its own people see it as its own nation, that it believes it has its own distinct history, that its own distinct uh, culture and ethos, then this is a pretty simple uh, decision to make. You had basically a bully come in and try to take over uh, this land. And, you know, you, you have to fight back against that kind of aggression. And I should we should we be some helping in this? It's it seems to me yes. Now I, you know I understand Catholics and other Christians have you know debate the just war principles and how they apply in situations like this. But it is important for us to uh, actually understand why uh, we hold the positions that we hold. And I hold them simply on the grounds that it's in our national interest to um, let international bullies know that they are going to not be accepted and we it's our responsibility to try to marginalize them in whatever way we can and we got we're, we're entering into a very different uh, foreign policy situation and uh, you know we talk about china getting cozier with russia and so that also plays into this but last night 
Russia launched its biggest aerial attack in weeks. And uh, joining me right now is Archbishop Boris Gudziak. Archbishop, good to have you here again. Thanks. Al, it's been a while. It's wonderful to hear your voice oh. and be with, with your audience. Likewise. Thank you. Tell me, uh, there was this attack last night. Uh, have you heard how severe it was? Yes, we uh, had a, a synod meeting uh, this morning with the head of the church. Uh, it's the permanent synod, which is like the administrative council of the American, uh, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. There's uh, six of us bishops there out of the 50. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, life goes on. Uh, we we dealt with many other issues, but uh, there were over 80 rockets sent. Uh, there were some hypersonic uh, missiles that Ukrainians don't have air defense systems for. There were some ballistic missiles. In the past, uh, Russians have used the missiles that Ukrainians gave up in 1994 when they uh, unilaterally disarmed their nuclear arsenal. Right. Ukraine was the you know, first country, along with Belarus and uh, Kazakhstan, that unilaterally disarmed because it had no intention on any aggression. And the Russians have been using some of these missiles without the nuclear warheads and, you know, uh, sending them. So the explosions in Kyiv, in fact, this, by some accounts, this was the worst rocket uh, barrage uh, of of this past year, in terms of uh, numbers and strength and uh, sophistication of um, uh, the weaponry used, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a good number were knocked out. Ukrainians have been knocking out between seventy and eighty percent during these barrages, but uh, it um, was not only rockets; it was these uh, drones, and I think people know that. Uh, Russia has been getting drones from Iran, a terrorist state, um, and um, also, uh, you know, this is hitting not military objects, but it's meant to hit uh, um, significant infrastructure, yeah. the heating and electricity systems. In Zolochu, which is my mother's hometown, mm. Uh, five people were killed uh, when uh, a house was hit. Wow. Um, Is there any sense that this uh, battle has ground uh, to uh, a place where nobody seems to be able to get the necessary advantage? Uh, and uh, do you are you afraid that the international community will begin? calling for some sort of uh, brokered peace deal? It really, you know, uh, depends on um, two things. There's kind of the the will, the resolve of of the people of Ukraine. Uh, I just returned from there. It's my sixth trip since last February, February 22. Uh, and I went to different part of the country, different parts of the country. And over the, this past year, I visited uh, uh, ten countries and talked with refugees. Really, I, I didn't meet not a, I didn't meet a single person. I'm not saying that such, such don't exist, uh, but uh, the people that I talked to 
are of a firm position. Russian occupation brings genocide to Ukraine. Okay. Historically, every time there's a Russian occupation, the Catholic Church is strangled. In the three uh, regions of the Donbass, the eastern part, not Crimea, which is also occupied, but the three regions which are partially occupied in eastern Ukraine, not a single Catholic priest is functioning. So the ministry of the Catholic Church is dead. Wow. Uh, uh, and that has been the case in the 18th century, in the 19th century, in the 20th century with the Eastern Catholics, uh, whenever uh, there's a Russian occupation. Tsarist, communist, Putinist. Hmm. There's a very direct line. Yeah. Uh, so Ukrainians, whether it's for church reasons, whether it's for cultural reasons, whether it's for political reasons, or reasons of just staying alive, they realize that Russia brings death. Uh, 15 million people were killed in Ukraine in the 20th century mm. uh, through world wars and uh, uh, instigated by 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 Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you the, know the, the Second World War yeah. uh, began when Hitler and Putin signed the uh, you know a non-aggression pact uh, and divided Poland. Yeah. So people, that's one consideration. Do people are people willing to die for for this? for their freedom and their independence and their territorial integrity. And that that clearly is the case. Uh, the other thing is, will they have the instruments uh, to defend themselves? And um, the, the story from, I spoke with Ambassador Herbst, who uh, used to be the ambassador to Ukraine and now is a specialist at the Atlantic Council. I'm coming to you from Washington where, where, where I spoke at a conference with him a few days ago. Um, and he met with General Budanov, who's head of military intelligence. And Budanov told him, if you give us what we need, we will end this war quickly. And then Herbst asked, what if you don't get what you need? He said, we will still win. We will still prevail, but it's going to take a long time and the casualties will be, uh, you know, astronomical. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's that pretty much sums up the resolve of the Ukrainian people. They're, they're going to fight does. this to the end. Yeah. It, it, they feel they have no choice. Yeah. It's liberty or death. Otherwise, you know, there will be there will be massacres like we saw, uh, and you know, their their liberties will be stripped, yeah. including the liberties of Catholics. Um, does the uh, has the Holy See had much to say recently about the the situation of the church in Ukraine? Um, the Holy See has uh, spoken about the general humanitarian. I'm saying new things that the Holy See has said in the last weeks. The Holy See has pointed out that uh, the, the Russian barrage, the occupations. Uh, the war crimes and everything have created uh, a humanitarian situation, according to which 17 million people in Ukraine need humanitarian assistance. Six million people are internally displaced uh, migrants, so they've had to leave their homes. They've been pushed out of their homes, but they're still in the country. About 7 million people are outside of the country. So the Holy See has been focusing on the humanitarian situation. Um, 
the Holy Father wrote uh, a, a very impassioned letter to the people of Ukraine um, this fall, uh, which is a very rare thing for the Pope to write to, you know, one nation. Right. It's right. almost unprecedented. And, uh, you know, he commends the people for uh, their courage. Uh, he particularly says, and he's repeated this, you know, at least a hundred times, it's almost at every audience on the Wednesdays and Thursdays, the big public uh, addresses of the Holy Father, you know, he speaks about the suffering of the people. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, quite regular meetings with different representatives of those, you know, who who have been um, suffering, whether it's widows or orphans or children, um, he he likes to invite uh, kind of not only you know the government officials or bishops, but uh, young people, uh, uh, non-Catholics. There's a there's a Protestant minister who he met. Uh, the Protestant minister uh, worked with street people and uh, drug addicts, mm-hmm. and uh, he had th- he has 35 adopted children. <laughs> His name is uh, Gennady Mukhnenko. Eight of his sons, I think, are, uh, you know, on the front defending uh, the country. And one of his daughters was killed. um, And uh, the Pope met him. And uh, I know that uh, also through him, you know, he is trying to address certain humanitarian situations. Also, the Holy Father has been active in a very quiet, behind-the-scenes way in prisoner exchanges. Oh, Because it's uh, uh, Ukrainians who end up uh, uh, becoming prisoners of war are in horrendous circumstances. There's there's torture. Uh, Three days ago, maybe you saw it, maybe you heard of it, uh, uh, the Russians put out a trophy video uh, of uh, an execution of a prisoner of war. It seems he's standing by a ditch which uh, he was supposed to maybe uh, uh, dig for himself. Yeah. They tell him, take off your, you know, you can take off your yeah. badge and he says, glory to Ukraine and they just fire at him. Archbishop, unfortunately, I've got to end it here because the music has come up on us. Thank you. I hope we can talk with you again soon. And continue to we stay keep praying. Okay. I'm asking the people pray, be informed, and help as you can. Those are the three things that Amen. you can do. Thank you, Bishop. Crested in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Food for the Journey, Sister Ann Shield. You know, we would avoid a lot of difficult arguments just spouting off at the mouth, as we sometimes say. Just ask the Lord Give me the words to say. Maybe I'm rightfully angry, but if I just shout and yell and scream, what good is that going to be? Brothers and sisters, God can give us much more control over our anger, over our fear, 
over our language. And so whenever you're in a tight spot, just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? God is good. I don't mean he's going to say words that will come down from heaven. But if you pause just for a moment, you'll get hold of yourself and you may well get a thought that you didn't have before. And sometimes it's just quiet, but it's enough to bring down the steam. And then you think what is really right to say here. You might be justifiably angry. How do we respect the other person while we're correcting them? Please, brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts to God in those moments. Sister Ann Shields gives you food for the journey weekday mornings at 645 and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and uh, we're coming up next hour. In in a way, we're going from the, the brutal battlefields of Ukraine to the exalted uh, Catholic teaching of the divine marriage. Uh, my guest, Dr. Andre Villeneuve, will be sharing with us some outstanding uh, material from his book regarding the mystery of divine love. Stay with me. I'm looking forward to it. Divine Marriage from Eden to the End of Days. I'm Al Cresto. 